0: Hi, I'm Bob Switzer, and this is the Epic Narrative. Okay, so I know that we technically finished up Chapter 18 last week, or whenever we aired this, but I need to go back to that last verse of Chapter 18 before we start Chapter 19, because it's one of those it's it's just one of those things that that we often miss because we read it in English and it just we just read right over it. So the last verse of chapter 18 says the Philistine commanders continued to go out in battle and as often as they did David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers and his name became well known. So what, what this is one of those time verses. This is this is probably at least a two year period of time because you didn't go to battle year round. It's, you know, it's, it's not like today where we have enough equipment and mobility to handle any kind of weather to, to um, uh, you know, to, to do battle on any kind of terrain. We, we have, you know, we have an amazing military machine. We also uh, have a full-time military that's that's paid. Maybe not as well as some people want them to be. I, I I don't that's that's politics, but we have a full-time military presence. That would not have been true in the time of of you know the writing of this of this passage. Uh, military, although you might have been drafted or conscripted into the military, it was only during certain times of the year that you would be ready to go and on call. You didn't necessarily go to the barracks and live for a couple of years while while you served your, your time. You you were part of a farm. It was a huge agrarian society, mostly. Agrarian and trades. So odds are you were part of a farm or, or part of a collective that had, um, you know, village-wide produce, village-wide livestock. And you would... You would participate in that. So there were certain times of year that you were needed back at your village, back at your family, back at your home. And that's where you would go. And so you couldn't go to war. And that was true for the Philistines as well. As much as the Philistines owned most of the coast and most of their money was made in the, in the, you know, in essence, the fishing trade, they had to go out and get the fish. And remember, they couldn't store fish for, you know, in a, in a freezer. They had to go out every day and get fish. They had to. They had to clean it. They had to dry it. They had to smoke it, and then they had to to bring it to market if they wanted to get paid. And they didn't necessarily. It wasn't like they were a wealthy nation and, and it had a standing army. They just had a uh, you know just as much of a commitment to daily life in order to make a living as anyone else. So when it says. The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle, and as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well known. This would happen over several seasons of battles. And 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 they would make arrangements to meet each other. Now raiding parties might happen throughout the year, okay? You would you would find out that there was a huge cash crop somewhere. And you you know you want to frustrate. And at some level, devastate your enemy's ability to pay for the the cost of war. You would try to decimate their economy so that they couldn't recover and and couldn't, in essence, field an army whatsoever or pay for um, allies, which often was the case. Mercenaries. You would, you know, there there were some nations that sold their men out. To be uh, mercenaries, with to help out other other nations, you could you could uh, you know yeah just buy an army so to speak. So there were there were those sort of things you wanted to take that away. So there would there would be raiding parties across the border for both, and this would this would fuel the rage, so that when it came time for battle, you would remember these things, and you as a commander would. Um, accentuate these things for your men for your troops so that they would get excited and be like yeah you know you wiped out this village yeah you stole our our sheep you stole our livestock you stole our money and they would say yeah you burned our ship or you you know sunk our ship or you stole our fish or burned our fish and we couldn't you know it it, would go back and forth and that was that was the essence of warfare and then they would go at each other but often they would go at each other they would try and make it that champion thing, so that really only only a few guys. And and it did, wasn't always one on one. Sometimes you would you would pick the you know the top twelve. You'd pick the top twenty, and it would basically be a mini battle, and you would just watch it and and root for your team. And you know I get that. N- not everybody wants to die. If you can negotiate something. T- where, uh, you know, there's, not everybody wants to die. There's always a few guys in the military who don't think they will ever die and they're willing to take on the world. And so you'd want them out front and they would uh, volunteer. They would step forward for these kind of battles. Anyways, as often as they went out, as often as they went out, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers. That's just, that's just often, as often right? It doesn't mean they went out often. It just meant every time they did, there was a number of of officers in Saul's army. David was one of them. Remember, David was uh, a son-in-law. David was somebody who Saul feared. So he was not in the daily interactions in the palace, David would go home to his little to his apartment, to his house there in the capital city and be with his wife. But generally speaking, David hung out in the wilderness. David, uh, not in the wilderness. He would hang out with the army. He would um, probably go back to Bethlehem and be near his family, although I don't think his family was that happy with that uh, that interaction. but I'm sure. At some level, his success brought brought fame and favor to his family, so his arrival would be something that they would want periodically, kind of like a celebrity sighting. All of this success, this national uh, success, all of the fact that both Israel and Judah loved David, all of them wanting David to be the one who defended them. All you know, if, if the Philistines. And they would. This is the other thing, right? Militarily, they would make arrangements to meet with with the, uh, the Israelites, and they would say, "All right, where do you want to get? Like, we're, we're thinking this valley. Are you, are you are you in agreement? This is where we're gonna be. This is what day we're gonna get there." So Israel would send out word to the commanders, and everybody wanted David to be the one who came. And of course, that wasn't, of course, you know, necessarily well received because um commanders tend to be you know leaders and some of them many leaders have a bit of an ego M- you know much like a lot of pastors <laughs> have a bit of an ego it'd be like it'd be like mega church i mean currently what what are we talking about like okay we need a really good message let's see do we get steve Furick from hillsong do we get bill johnson from bethel do we get uh Uh, You know, Joel Osteen from from Texas, like these are all like commanders, so to speak. And and then you send out your invitation as as, you know, the the group, the conference that's going on. Well, we want the very best. Okay, well, let's you know, we we're going to put these guys in order of preference. And then you see who's available. You see who's who's ready. You see who's closest. You see, see who has, you know, that opening. Well, it'd be the same sort of thing when, when looking for a commander to come to, you know, defend your village, defend your region, defend your border, because, you you know, you live close to the border, and you hope that it's David. Like, David probably was the top of everyone's list. And I say all this because of the first verse of chapter 19, where it says, Saul told his son Jonathan, and, huh, this is this is what's important, and all the attendants... To kill David. So this is Saul. Saul's sitting, not sitting. I know that it just sounds like he's a lazy bum and not paying attention to things. Saul is back at the palace. He's observing and keeping track of what's going on in his nation. He's making decisions. He's uh, fulfilling contracts. he's he's signing trade agreements. He's working on peace negotiations. He's trying to, you know, trying to make sure, the country runs well he he's a good king remember that okay don't don't constantly beat up Saul for for just being this dote who wanted to kill David Saul Saul was a good king yes he i believe he he strongly struggled with self-rejection which i think we all do at some level and i believe Saul struggled with it be, not only because of internal issues that he started to believe when he was a child but I believe he struggled with it because of the religious mindset of so many people, including including Samuel, who was the prophet of the day, quote, the voice of God. I believe that 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 all plays into Saul's struggles. But it doesn't mean that he's a horrible leader or a bad person. It just means he struggled. And and so Saul's sitting here, and he's seeing probably for several years, he's seeing that that david constantly has success like david's creativity is and and problem solving skills on the battlefield is is making him a success on the battlefield but more than that the people who fight for david come back with rave reviews many times as you know right you can work for somebody who's a good quote a good business leader like you go to work for a, a company or or you go you know to minister with an organization and the and the reputation of the organization is great, but when you get to know the leadership, you're kind of like, yeah. Like, nah, my time's up. Like, thanks, thanks for the uh opportunity you know, bless you guys. I'm going to go work somewhere else. I'm going to go look for another calling. I'm going to go find a, another, uh, I think, you know, I think I want to go over to this part of the world, or I think I, I'm going to narrow, you know, uh, focus on something else for the next whatever I'm going to do. So, so you could do that in the military as well. Right. And you'd go home after, after battles and you'd be like, yeah, like, yeah, we won. That was great. It was awesome, but man, the commanders, oh my word, like they're so political or they're so like they try to motivate us with all of this like aggression, fear, like if we don't do this, like everyone's gonna die. And like I just I just remember, you know, when I when I was working with David, when I was fighting for David, like man, that was that was a good time. Like man, he he just knows how to lead people. And and David's reputation, that's how his reputation spreads around the nation. People want their if their children are going to be conscripted into arm into the armed forces or if even if they want to volunteer or even if they have to send their kids, they want them to be connected to David because David not only wins on the battlefield, David wins the hearts of the men who who fight for him. And not only do they f- fight with wisdom, in the battle plan, but they fight from a heart of passion. They fight from a place of hope. They, pl- they fight from a place of of love for their nation of, that uh, allows them to do more and expect more when, of themselves when they're out on the battlefield. They feel more connected to who they're designed to be when they're in good leadership. That's true regardless of who you are as a leader. If you lead well, the people around you feel more connected to their identity when they're working for you, working alongside you, doing things that you've asked them to do, they they feel more in line with their with their purpose and identity than they do with the task. If you're not a good leader, then then all then the people who work for you are just doing things because they're told to do them, and eventually that that gets really tiring, and it becomes uh, a place where they start to lose purpose and and direction. And David's David's men didn't do that. They didn't just go to battle out of fear. Like, well, if I don't go to battle, my family will be thrown in prison or I'll be, sh- I'll be killed and my family will have, you know, have to pay more in taxes, whatever. He they didn't, they didn't fight because of what might happen to them if they don't. They fought because of what they were fighting for. David gave them something to fight for. Not a place of fear to fight from. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. It made sense in my head when I said it. Anyway, so all of this is going on. Saul keeps getting reports. He's glad that they're winning. Listen, he's glad that his nation is protected. He's glad that we're keeping the Philistines at bay. Even Even if some of his commanders might lose a battle or two, at least everything's working. But David's voice, David's heart, David's passion, David's leadership keeps coming back up. And people love him. Well, Saul basically takes his fear of David to the next level. He basically goes public. He stands up and he says to his attendants, which would be mostly family members, right? These are not like uh, uh, minions, slaves from you know, from other countries that are just kind of doting around. Uh, being treated poorly. These are attendants. These are people who are in the court. These are people that help him make decisions. These are people who have influence on people around, around the nation. And he says to him, to all of them, and to his son, Jonathan, his oldest son, who would have been the crown prince, right? The one who takes over if Saul dies. except Jonathan wouldn't take over if Saul dies because Jonathan knows that he's already made a covenant with with David and is willing to let David be the next king but that's a whole nother layer of this relationship that will be developed even more so as we go forward. but he says to Jonathan and all of his attendants there in the throne room he says, I want David to to be killed. I want him dead. I mean I this going public, is a big thing. It be it be like, uh, not on the same scale, but you know, let's let's say, <laughs> let's say, uh, and and I know that this happens on a much, on a smaller scale, right? The youth pastor is popular. The senior pastor is starting to hear that everybody loves the youth pastor. You know, she's amazing. He's amazing. He's they're so you know they, they're so smart. Their insights, their their ideas are so you know, so new and fresh. And, you know, my kids love them and my or my kids can't wait to have them, uh, you know, in, in a few years when they get older or my kids wish that they were still at church so that they could have this guy or this girl as their youth pastor. And and then the college students come back and they're like, hey, can we just hang out? Like, can we come to class? Can we come to class with you? I, I know that sounds weird because of coronavirus. There probably aren't a whole lot of classes going on, but there should be. But that's a whole other thing. Hopefully, by the time you're hearing this, everything's wide open again. I just, I just, I just pray that it's all wide open again for you. So all of this is going on in a, on a small scale, uh, you know, in in a church. And somewhere along the line, the pastor says to the elders or to the board or to his associates, he says, "You know what? I think it's time we get rid of him." And we you know, I think it's time that uh, you know, I I think, you know, they, they keep they keep doing these little things that are irritating me. And uh I, I think I think it's time we rotate, you know, rotate somebody else in. It's 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 not as serious, you know. I, I don't think a pastor would say, I, I hope that I hope the youth pastor dies, but as far as what is growing in Saul's heart, that that internal jealousy, there really isn't any place place for it. There's no reason for it. Saul is king. David's just a commander in the in the army. He's, he's, a, he's a son-in-law, yes, but there's, there's no need for the jealousy. Saul has all that he needs. He has everything he wants, including if he wants. He has a connection to God whenever he wants it. We see that every time that David plays, he connects to heaven. God's there for him. It's an invitation to Saul. Stay here. Don't lose this awareness. Don't get distracted by what the enemy you know, has has put in you. Don't get distracted by the lies that you believe from your childhood regarding your, your identity and your purpose in life. But he decides to go public. He says, you know what, Jonathan? You know what, everybody, pay attention. I'm putting out a death warrant on David. I want David to die. Uh, but it says Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him. Wow. A great liking. That's an intense phrasing. That's an intense phrasing. And I know that it gets, it gets twisted into a relationship that doesn't, uh, I, I, you really, you're stretching to the point where you're being ridiculous if you think that's what it means, but it doesn't. But it does mean that he really liked David and he understood, he understood what God was doing in that he he saw that David it wasn't that th- that the Lord was on David's side and gave him an advantage. It's that the Lord was with David. In other words, David stayed connected to heaven, and he saw David as a as as this amazing um, peer, this amazing friend. And Jonathan had this heart that that mirrored David's connection to heaven, and he knew that what his father was doing wasn't right. So his first his first thing he did was he went out. And he warned David. He's like, listen, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. So be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. He's like, my dad is looking for a chance to kill you. You're close. Like David's probably with Michelle at this point or Michael, depending on how you want to say her name. Uh, in his apartment, Jonathan goes to see him, and he and he and he steps in, and he's like, you know, let's let's go outside and talk for a minute. Listen, my my dad literally has put out a death warrant on you. Now, th- again, I don't think this was an unusual thing for Saul to do. I think he'd put out death warrants on a number of people. A lot of them were politically astute or powerful people, and when and when Saul felt threatened to a point where he didn't think he could figure out a political way to take advantage of the person, he would just, he'd put out a death warrant. And I think that 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 is a general approach of people who lead from fear. To go back to our silly illustration about a youth pastor and and a senior leader of some sort, when they feel threatened, when they lead from a place of fear and they feel threatened, they start to do things that will in essence kill the career of the person they feel threatened by. And if they if they are a if they are a radio host or a or a uh, a television, you know, if they have some sort of huge media thing and they start to feel threatened by somebody else's media, they will start to attack that person. They will do what they can to kill that person's career, to kill that person's motivation uh, or motive motive. Is it motivation? momentum that's the word oh i'm so glad you thought of that thank you that was my executive uh intern there an engineering intern that was like hey bob you i think what you mean to say is momentum yes they'll they'll do what they can to kill the momentum right they'll start to cut down other ministries and other churches and i've been around people like that they're not fun to be they're not fun to be around they think they're funny they think that they're they're it's it's arrogance right it's pride it's it's self-rejection it's what saul deals with and so he looks at david and he david has now reached the level of all right i i just need to take him out like keeping him out of the palace keeping him on the battlefield is it working the philistines haven't killed him yet the men keep falling in love with him. the nation keeps falling in love with them all of this popularity I need to put out a death warrant. So so Jonathan goes and he tells David this. Listen, you need to be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I'm going to go out and stand with my father in the field where you're hiding. And I'm going to talk to him about you. And I will tell you what I find out. So this has to be a a generally uh, popular field so to speak, a place where, not so to speak, why do you keep using that phrase? It drives me crazy. I can't imagine the people that are listening to you. Oh, my word, stop saying that, or at least don't say it as much. Okay, I will. I'll try and keep that in mind. Thank you very much. This field had to be something that uh, Saul would go to on a regular basis. I don't think this this was out of the ordinary for Jonathan and Saul to go walking in this field, and I don't think it was a field that was like a, It probably wasn't manicured, but it probably was well, uh, you know, it probably was attended to so that it was safe. It was, um, it probably had a lot of uh, maybe organized in the way the bushes were, like maybe it was manicured to that level. It depends. I guess, you, you know, use your imagination on this, but it clearly had places where you couldn't see everything. Whether it be rocks, whether by design, formations of rocks or statues, or by hedges, you know, various bushes that are that are there or just trees, it could have just been a walled, somewhat walled off or at least guarded field so that the king could go for a walk in the field. And this is true for you know most most everyone who deals with uh, a ton of, we'll say, work stress. They usually like somewhere where they can go. Just sit and be quiet. Uh, sometimes it's a park in the city. They just find their favorite bench and they sit. But oftentimes, if they can, they have a piece of property somewhere where they can just go and walk. I know, I know executives, um, you know, in Boston. I know executives in Hartford, and they 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 have made their backyards into sanctuaries, right, where they can just go and be quiet. They can go for a walk. They can. Quote putter around. I know some who own huge tracts of land, right, in in Maine or Vermont or New Hampshire, and they go up there and they like, you know, get on a tractor and start ripping things, you're ripping trees out or stumps out or moving large boulders. Why? Because at work, like, it's just all on a screen and it's it's frustrating and as far as like the the capacity of Of their vision, but man, when they get out on their property, they get on their backyard, like their vision opens and they're able to breathe. So this is the sort of thing that I think is going on in this field. And Jonathan knows, listen, my dad and I will go for a walk tomorrow in the field. You hide. And when I'm done talking to him, I'll come talk to you. I don't think Jonathan was trying to be deceptive. I think Jonathan was doing what he could to to restore relationship between his father who he believed and honored as a good man and his and his best friend and brother David who he believed was a, a good and honorable man. you see honor does not mean blind obedience. Honor is guided by love. there's a lot of times that that parents and preachers, And Sunday school teachers, oh, oh, we got a rhythm going. No, stop. Have used the concept of honor for blind obedience. You will honor me. You need to honor your elders. You need to honor your, your authorities. And by that, what they're trying to imply is you need to obey me. You need to do what I say. You need to honor me. But honor is not blind obedience. And Jonathan understands the culture of honor. And Jonathan knows that his father has a good heart. He's seen his father in worship. He's been with his father in worship. He's he's heard his father prophesy and speak the hope and love and, and, and passions and perspectives of heaven. He knows his dad's a good man. He also knows when his dad's made a decision that isn't that good he knows that is that david hasn't been on his dad's favorite person list for a long time he knows that but that's far different than putting out a death warrant on somebody david david and and saul were in essence i think in a, like i've said before i think that they were very much alike i think that's also part of the reason why saul would 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 whip around from one extreme to the other because he saw in david Himself, and he saw the the heart of David for God, and he and he knew that that was his heart as well. And then he'd go from there to from inspired to angry and frustrated, and he would he would see David as the reason why he couldn't get close to God. Like he would blame David's relationship with God for the reason why his relationship with God wasn't good, and he and and then he would. Take on that same attitude that Cain had against against uh, Abel, which was, hey, if I take out my competition, then God, I'm the only one that God uh, can can deal with. I'll be his I'll be his favorite again, not realizing that what God was after was you know was after the heart. He didn't care what was going on. He didn't care what the sacrifice was for Cain and Abel. He really didn't. He cared about the heart. And for the the same is true with Saul. He cared about David. Saul's heart, and I think Jonathan honored the perspective that God had on Saul, which was he's a good man, and I love him, and his heart is amazing. And if he just would stay in awareness of my presence, he would be like the, like he would understand the favor and adoration of heaven all the time, and he would walk in that, in the wisdom and creativity and and favor and blessings of God. But he doesn't. And I wish he would. And I think Jonathan honored that. And when he saw that his father put out a death warrant and heard his father say, I want David killed, he knew, all right, I need to step in, but I still I need to do this with honor. I need to I need to approach this from the position of heaven. Man, there are so many people that if given this opportunity, they would have they would have raged against authority. They would have raged against Uh, this this declaration right that I want I want David killed man I tell you Jonathan handled this so so well so well so he I'll walk you through it so he 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 steps in he warns David but he doesn't send David away okay he doesn't send he doesn't try to make David into a rebel hey my dad wants to kill you but I know that You know he shouldn't be doing that. He's such a bad leader. He makes he makes really bad decisions. Let me go through the list of decisions that my father's made. That man, I'm telling you, you like you you've been out on the field. I've been in the I've been in the throne room. I've been on the in the board meetings. My my father is you know he makes so many rash decisions and and decisions based in fear. And we need a leader who makes decisions in hope and love. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't try to divide or uh, Saul from David. He doesn't try to divide uh, physically Saul and David, he doesn't say, listen, David, you need to run away and get as far from here as possible. And I'll send word to you. If, if things straighten out, he says, listen, I need you to go into hiding. Why? Because it's safe for you. And if I don't send you into hiding and one of these attendants sees you walking around, you could be dead before I, before I get around to talking to my father. So I need you to just go into hiding and go into the field where I know I'm going to be with my dad tomorrow morning. And we're going to go for a walk and I'm going to talk to my dad. See, see, Jonathan knew if if, if he could help his father, if he could relationally connect to his dad, he could relationally bring his father to a different perspective. He could honor his father's Heart. He could honor his father's goodness in a way that wasn't going to be threatening, in a way that would allow him to still be um, in authority. So he went for a walk with his father. I I I I've been on walks like this, like you know you need to bring something up with a family member. And it's not, it's not gonna be the easiest conversation to have. It's gonna be a little awkward. Now, Jonathan at least had, you know, probably had seen his father on a pretty regular basis, probably daily, uh, so he had enough of a experience, experiential conversation, you know, to be able to have with his father, so that he didn't have to just. Have that awkward silence and then say, so the reason why I got you on the phone or the reason why we got together today or the reason why I wanted to have coffee with you was this and then just put that harsh thing on the on the table. I have a feeling they he saw him in the morning. He's like, good morning, dad. He's like, good morning, son. I'm so proud of you. I think you're awesome. And Jonathan's like, thanks, dad. I think you're pretty, pretty awesome as well. Uh I think you do a good job as a king. Uh, You made, you know, yesterday when you made this decision or two weeks ago, like I think that contract that you made with that, the trade agreement that you made with that tribe, with that village, with that market conglomerate, I think that was really good. I think that's really reaping benefits. Like they, they probably had a very gentle conversation for a while. And then Jonathan spoke well of David. And again, it doesn't mean that he literally just started out with the phrase, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you. What what has he done? What he has done has benefited you greatly. He didn't start there. It says he spoke well of David to Saul, his father. So that would mean that he brought up mutually beneficial uh, probably antidotes. Some of them were funny. Some of them were about war. Some of them were were about family. It probably had some laughs. And Saul probably was thinking, I kind of know where this is going. And I I sense the the when I read this, I just think Jonathan's heart. You know, his love for his dad just came out on this. He's like, listen, I don't think you have the right perception on what's going on here. But what did he start out with? Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He puts he puts Saul where he where he belongs, which is he's king. You're king. You control everything. In this, in this nation, including David. He's your servant. David, he gives him a perspective. He's like, David has only done what he's told. And what he has done has benefited you greatly. He's benefited you, and in essence, benefited the nation. David has allowed you to remain king because he keeps winning battles for the nation. David is not trying to put together his own little army for a military coup. David goes out and he wins in the the season of war, and then the men go back to their places. David does not try to keep any of his men around him. David comes back here to the city where you can see him and everyone can see him. He doesn't go back to his home in Bethlehem and, and again, try to work the political realm and cause strife in the nation. He unifies the nation, and he unifies the nation under you. He says, your attitudes, Dad, your perceptions are wrong here. This is, this is the first, first thing you want to do when you want an honorable confrontation and a call for a change of perspective. Another way of saying a change of perspective— is repentance. He's like, "This is how dad, you just need to come up a little higher. You need to look at this from a different perspective." He's he he says this about David. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all of Israel. You saw it, you were glad. He's like, "Dad, listen. Your your perception needs to change and your charges about him being uh, you know uh, uh, somebody who needs to be killed, about being somebody who's who's a danger to you, your charges are inaccurate. you have forgotten the truth. you have forgotten love right? All of this is contained in these phrases. if we read them too quickly, we start you know we we lose it. And we just think that Jonathan confronted his father. The first thing you do in confrontation is you say, "You are about to do something wrong. Now, da 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 da. Now, da 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 da. Do what I tell you. No, Jonathan, this is this is a beautiful, honorable confrontation. This is the way you want confrontation to go." So he says, "Listen, you, your, your, your charges are inaccurate." He works for you. He's a servant of you. You're, you. You don't. If you look at this correctly, you realize he hasn't wronged you. He hasn't done anything to attack you. He hasn't done anything to take this the nation away from you. As a matter of fact, Dad, if we look at this correctly, if we look at this, if we repent, if we take it from a higher perspective, he's actually done everything for you. And he continues to do things for you to the point where he was willing and continues to be willing to die in the hands of the Philistines for the sake of this nation. The Lord keeps giving him great victory because he gives him victories for the nation. A why? Now this is awesome because, because this is, this is another key to a honorable confrontation. Um, my wife likes to say, say it this way: Stay curious. Stay curious. And what that means when you're communicating is ask for understanding. I use the phrase a lot like this. I'll, I'll say, so help me understand what's going on here because this is what I see, and this is what I this is what I hear. And Jonathan's doing the same things, the same sort of thing here. He's saying, listen, Dad, this is the way. I think we should be looking at this like this is what I see. I see a man who serves you. I see a man who has not wronged you. I see a man who will give his life for you and for the nation. I see God bringing victories to the nation. And David gives credit to God for the nation. And he unites people under you. He's not dividing the nation. He's not trying to take your throne. He's not He's not in a, the position that you think he's in. So, help me understand why there's a death warrant out on on David because i don't i'm not seeing the reasoning behind your declaration yesterday again he doesn't attack the declaration he literally asks his father for explanation he's like help me understand what's going on here dad why are we trying to kill david he doesn't say I'm not going to kill David, and I'm going to tell the attendants they shouldn't kill David because David's an innocent man. You can't kill an innocent man. You're being a bad leader. You're being a bad uh, king. You're not even very good at being a friend or a father at this point. I think you've got some serious issues, Dad. He doesn't do any of that. He says, help me understand the reasoning behind this. Why are we trying to kill David? I think he's an innocent man. I've just laid that out for you. I don't think there's any reason for it. So help me understand why then are we trying to kill him? And it says this in verse six. This is so awesome. So Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. Now, before I get into the oath, which is the rest of the verse, it's not that long. Saul listened to Jonathan. This is, this is, uh, this is pretty big. Because Jonathan had the role and the relationship needed for this confrontation. You need to stay aware. You need to stay aware of your role in someone's life. Now, I'm a pastor, right? I'm I'm, uh, currently at the church. You know, I'm, I'm the family life pastor. But if someone doesn't invite me in, to a conversation or into a confrontation or into a counseling situation, if I'm not invited in, I have to be really careful of what my role is. Sometimes I can present something to somebody as a, as a, as my role as pastor, if they attend regularly, we don't really have membership at our church. Um, but, but if they attend regularly and I kind of have a role as pastor, I can give them a call or I can catch them, you know, during a service. And I can I can say, "Hey, you know, I notice this, or hey, let's get together. Um, you know, I'd like to just catch up on how things are going. I can do that as my my role as pastor, but it, i I have to I've learned I have to wait. If somebody doesn't want my input, then my input is really not going to be listened to, even even if it's filled with wisdom and solution. I have to wait for the right time and I have to wait for my the the right role. Now, the deeper my relationship is for, with somebody, the easier it is to take on that role because the relationship, the depth of relationship, the quote intimacy of the relationship, the, the length of experience we've had together, that allows for more on-ramps, more inroads, more opportunity to step into places that might be difficult and have a conversation and when i have that conversation when the when the relationship is right and the timing is right then the then the person is able to listen they're not defensive this is why we know jonathan did the right thing and he did it the right way is because saul listened to jonathan and he took this oath as surely as the lord lives david will not be put to death well look at that he withdrew the warrant of death to Dave, for David. He listened to Jonathan's presentation of a heavenly perspective, and he tracked with it. And he sat there for a moment, stood there, prob- well, probably didn't stand there. I have a feeling they were kind of doing that slow, wandering, meandering walk through the, fil- through, through the field. I picture Jonathan to be a fairly happy guy. I picture him smiling at his father, putting his arm around his dad, looking at him, saying, "Listen, dad, you, you I just think, I just think you need to change a, a, your perspective on this. I, I don't think you're, you're accurately, um, bringing. You know, I don't, I don't think your accusations are correct. I think if we look at it a little differently, you'll actually see that David's actually working for you. That he loves you and he loves this nation. And I don't think." He has any guilt that warrants a death. I'm just saying. And Saul listened. That's how we know Jonathan did it right. And he he withdraws the warrant. And then in verse 7 it says, So Jonathan calls David and told him, the whole conversation, which means it's way longer than the two verses that are listed here in scripture. And then he says, he brought him to Saul and David was with Saul as before. Another key phrase in the story. We know that, that yeah, I believe it was in chapter 17. I'm, I'm not looking at it right now, but I believe in chapter 17, right? David, David was in a place of great favor and in the palace. And then David was not, and, and Saul became suspicious, and David had to kind of stay out of the palace because Saul wouldn't invite him in. He didn't want David's perspective. He didn't want David's wisdom. He didn't want David's voice. He didn't want David to, quote, steal the elders from him, to steal the, the council from him, to steal the the fathers of the nation from him, so like he did with the military guys, right so he had separated himself from David. but that phrase as before David was with Saul as before it means he brought him back to the table he brought him back into the into the council room. he brought him back to the interactions and relational connection that they had from the begin at the beginning when right after he had killed Goliath that those early days. That's where it was. There was there was this family connection again. David had a father that he never had before. Somebody who admired him, encouraged him, and blessed him in front of others. This is what what Saul started to do again. And why? Because Jonathan called David, told him the whole conversation, and he Jonathan brought him to Saul. So there was a again there was this there was this friendship, this this family connection. This was. This was one brother restoring another brother to a father. And it was blessed, and it was passionate, and it was awesome. And it is exactly what the heart of God is like. He's always looking to restore. He's always looking to bring people back to where they were designed to be. And we were designed to be in the garden. That's that's the beauty of the gospel of heaven. The gospel of heaven restores us back to our original design Restores us back to our original passions and purpose of heaven here on earth to spread the garden throughout the earth. The earth was in great shape, right? The earth was created and it was beautiful. And then God put a garden in the middle of it, which had to be even like like I don't even know how you make something that was good, right? God created the earth and he was good, and then He puts a garden in it and says. And basically says, yeah, and this is ten times better, and now you get to take this and spread it all over the earth. I know I'm getting I'm getting ahead of myself because I actually after the story of David, we're going to go into Genesis and and rip that apart. But that our original design was was there, and this is what this is what God loves to do. He loves to restore us back to relationship, restore us back. To, in essence, resurrecting what had what was dead, and that's what he did here. He took something. Saul had killed the relationship between him and David, and now the relationship's restored, and Jonathan had a role in this. Why? Because Jonathan was the one who did the honorable thing. He his honor was not blind obedience. It was guided by love. Jonathan is an amazing character in scripture because we see windows of his heart, right? We see his window. We see a window in his heart when he attacked the Philistines on his own and said, if God is with us, then God is with us. And, and if we die, we die. It doesn't matter. My passion is for heaven. My passion is for the people of God. I'm gonna do what I need to do. And we see his heart here where he's like, I'm going to honor my father and I'm just going to help him may possibly i'm going to give him an opportunity not help him do it i'm going to give him an opportunity to change his perspective to something higher and i'm going to ask him to help me understand the reasoning behind his decision and that's exactly what he did and he did it in such a way that saul despite all the fear and and self-rejection that saul deals with saul was able to listen to jonathan because jonathan did it right and then he restored he 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 rescinded his death warrant and then jonathan was able to bring david in before saul and that means he brought him into the throne room there was kind of a ceremonial reconnection everyone knew why because saul had made a public declaration about wanting david dead and now he made a public uh Example. He had a public declaration, but a public example that he and David were restored, and David was as before. He was in the palace this time. He was in the council. He was at the dinner table with the family. He and his wife and and everybody was in a good spot. And I'm gonna stop there because I just want you to rest in this good moment uh, where where Jonathan, where where David went from a, a fugitive. And then 24 hours later, he was forgiven and fully restored. That's a really good place in this story. I want you to rest there. Doesn't last for long, (laughs) but I want you to rest there. I hope you guys have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Epic Narrative. If you have questions for Bob or would like to reach out for booking, please email us at thebobswitzer at gmail.com or visit thebobswitzer.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe to The Epic Narrative podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. See you next week for another chapter in our story on The Epic Narrative.